Hi, I'm Meredith. Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for those who don't want to wait any longer. Hello, good morning. Oh my goodness. Hello, you lovely ladies. Hello to our listeners. How are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I am good today. I'm so excited for our guest, Joseph. Yeah. So our guest today is Francisca Lauren Carrera coming at us from Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. She's an artist. She's a painter, phenomenal painter and assemblage artist. And how are you today, Lauren? Good morning, Meredith and Joseph. I am excellent this morning. So I wanted to start by asking a little bit of a silly question, Lauren, and that is, if you had a superpower, would you rather be able to read people's minds, fly, or be invisible? And I think I already know your answer, but I'd love to hear it from you. (laughs) That's a really easy one. Okay. Well, I think I already read people's minds a lot. I mean, I was a trained psychologist and I also just kind of, you know, meditate a lot. So I have, (laughs) and that's not always the best thing in the world. (laughs) No, but it really isn't. There's times when you don't really want to read people's minds. However, it does give you a heads up, you know, like a Mm -hmm. But I would want to be invisible. Mm. I would Mm -hmm. want to have an invisibility in the world. Tell tell us more Mm -hmm. about that. Why? Uh, I like creating things for other people and or being in certain spaces and then disappearing and just setting the world, you know, people free to enjoy. Mm, mm. So I do that with my art also, but I like it in all areas of life. You know, I like mm. seeing, I like observing quietly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. Have you ever had uh, an exhibit or an opening where you, you kind of hid in the back a little bit and and just watched what how people reacted to the work that you put in front of them. Have you ever had that opportunity? Yes, um, a lot of times, you know, if you walk in and it's not say an opening evening, so they don't know who you are. I often will go and sit in my own exhibits, and usually they're large installations, fill up a whole room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will sit there. And they don't know who I am. And I'll ask them, what do you think? <laughs> or how do you experience this? Or, um, I'll sit, you know, on the floor, sometimes I'll sit in a chair and we'll just chat about life and they don't know who I am. And um, sometimes, you know, it's occasionally like reading minds, right? You don't always hear what you want, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but sometimes you do. Mm. And it's pretty mm. I yeah. love that. I would have answered. I've I've been to a number of Lauren's exhibitions, and I would say that almost all of them, she wants to be a fly on the wall and not be the person that's spotlighted. I'm the artist. She just wants to be witnessing other people's process with her art. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I don't mind being the center of attention either. <laughs> I just, I think I prefer the the silent part. Mm. But if you put the camera on me, I'm I'm on. Give me a microphone. I could talk for a few hours. <laughs> uh oh, we just gave you a microphone. <laughs> oh. 
right. So, so Lauren, can oh. you can you help our listeners out a little bit and share share with our listeners what really excites you as an artist? What inspires you to create this beautiful dynamic work that you do create? Um, I think what drives me. Well, that's a really interesting question. That has lots of you know parts branches. But I think what drives me every day is the idea of museums. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love museums, go to museums all around the world. I love quirky places and um, unusual things. And what really drives me on a, on a daily basis as an artist, I want to create a sense of wonder and awe for people. Mm. Um, I think we don't have enough of it in life. I don't think that we create it for each other enough. And uh, from decorating my home to everything I do, I try to create a sense of wonder and awe. And um, I want people to have a beginner's mind. And I think sometimes, you know, I used to think of it as I was creating a Zen moment for people. But I really think it's now that I want to create a feeling where you're kind of like a Zen koan where you can't say what it is, but mm -hmm. you are being with it. And so um, that's what I, that's what drives me on a daily basis. Thank you for that. Yeah. So can you talk to us about the museum that you started and specifically, how did you give yourself permission to do that? Because that's kind of an audacious step, right? That's how did you give yourself permission to do that? And what can you tell us about the museum? Well, you know, so when I, be, I was a psychologist and I was steeped in science. And when I decided to leave that to be an artist full time, I thought, you know, it was really an identity crisis. And um, it took me a few years to accept that I was an artist. But one of the things that I did immediately to help me was I really surrounded myself by artists and art and got a studio. I gave myself permission to get a studio. Mm. And um, it turned out that that was the most wonderful thing I could have done because I made lots of friends in the art world and I just became an artist, a working artist suddenly. Um, in doing so, that meant I had lots of conversations and coffee shops with artists. And so I realized pretty quickly that I didn't understand the art scene in the sense of the professional art scene. And I didn't know how to um, navigate it. I still don't really, truly. I don't understand it. <laughs> so I just make things up. Um, I don't understand it. And you know, I realized in life, if you don't understand what you're doing, it's better because you don't have <laughs> obstacles. <laughs> and if you don't know obstacles, you hit, you know, when you hit them, you deal with them. You don't know that that's something you can't do. So when I was having coffee one day with a bunch of artist friends and we were very frustrated, how do you get into a museum? You know, women don't do so well at that. And, uh, and blah, blah, blah. We were talking about, um, you know, the difficulty of getting known and, uh, you know, kind of climbing the artistic ladder, so to speak. And um, I just offhandedly, as we were leaving, I said, you know what, we should just start our own museum. And uh, when I drove home, I was thinking, well, you know what, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, everybody does that every day, right? And I, mm. I came home and I said, to my husband, you know, hey, I have this great idea. I'm going to start a museum. And he's like, good. How do we do it? How can I help? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I looked around for a building and um, I looked around for a building in San Diego and I found a 4,500 square foot building that looked like a museum. <laughs> and it was an old Naval officers training building and it had tons of rooms. And I thought, and I walked in and I, I just realized that I just gave myself permission. I talked the woman into renting it to me and I had it for three, four years almost. It took two years to put it together. Oh, wow. Uh, and all the art I made, of course, and with help, you know, I had my, I had an assistant that eventually I had three assistants and, and Chris, my husband. And, um, you know, we were able to make the art for all the rooms, how to paint everything, clean up everything, uh, a few times and then I opened it to the public <laughs> I didn't charge anybody because again I you know I just want to create this uh, thing and um and that's what I've done so I'm think now I'm looking how to do it again you know in Portland but it's a little more expensive here than it was there at the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's how I did it I gave myself permission to do whatever I could dream up and not think about the obstacles <sighs> which were about money, of course, mm. you know, right? Time, materials, and I have to make artwork. So what I did is I did a few iterations, meaning I did a first iteration, then I realized I could do even better. So each time, each every few months, I would do a new installation and it would grow. That's fantastic. Can, can you tell, what are some of the the amazing things that emerged from you taking that leap of faith and giving yourself permission aside from yes, having this amazing place to, to display your work mm-hmm. and to invite the community in to witness it. But what are some of the things that really started to move you forward? And especially now that you're talking about wanting to open another museum, what are things that you learned that are golden nuggets that you could share um, one of the things, uh, there were so many things I learned about the world, really. And it wasn't even about the art world because I was in my own world. Now I created mm-hmm. my own entire universe, which I love to do. And I realized <laughs> I, want to be more like <laughs> I don't need, I don't need anybody else. I just do stuff. But I realized that I love the, again, creating an opportunity for other people to find something in themselves so lots of people would come. This is crazy. Okay, lots of people would come and they would start to cry when they walked in. So they would leave. They'd say, I have to come back later. Mm. And so then they would come back later. And I'd ask them, why do you come back later? They said, I was too overwhelmed the first time. There's so much to see here. But I, what I realized is I like to create things of beauty so that people will come and look. Because I think art, if it has just a little touch of beauty, people want to see it. Um, And I've noticed that and people mention that. Uh, And then, you know, when they come close, if they really look, I give all levels of looking, give the opportunity for all levels of looking. You can just come in as a child and enjoy everything you see and you won't know what you're seeing, but you'll enjoy it. If you're an adult and you want to think really hard, you, there's lots to think about. And I always have writing with it and poetry and things. But I think for me, I learned that I could speak in front of large crowds. I was on TV many times. 
Um, I learned that people need awe and wonder and they crave it and they dream with it. So a lot of times people come back with books of poetry or and read their friends in front of a piece of art. The ballet came and danced in front of some of my art. Um, you know, things like that. Just un extraordinary experiences. A woman came in one day and she, um, she just came over and she said, I have to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she just took my hand and she handed me $50 in my hand. <laughs> and I said, what is this? And she said, I just have to give it to you because thank you so much for raising botan. I did a whole thing on medicinal botanicals. Thank you for raising botanicals to a higher level so that, so that people care. And she was from the botanical society. Mm. And just like affected me really strongly, you know, um, things like that, or so, you don't know what, the outcome will be of your work. Right. Right. That's so beautiful. So I want to go a little bit deeper with this, Lauren. I mean, I was able to go to your museum and loved every square inch of it. I was so jealous of what you had created. But what I'm thinking about now is the listener. Mm -hmm. And the listener has some dreams. Yeah. And she has some ideas. And she has, unfortunately, some obstacles. She might be sitting there saying to herself, well, yeah, Lauren could do it, but I can't. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could speak to her. Meredith, can you give her a name? Sure. Uh, Jennifer. <laughs> Let's say that Jennifer is sitting there thinking, I can't do this. Lauren could, but I can't for a number of reasons, right? What can you share with Jennifer about her own possibilities and her own opportunities I would tell Jennifer that every artist, no matter how even accomplished they seem or are, they face their own walls every single day. Because art is one of those strange things, almost like sales, being a salesperson, that every day you have to do a cold call to start something new. You start something you've never done before. If you're, you know, if you're an artist who's searching, um, every single day you're doing something you've never done before and you have to give yourself permission. I mean, every single day I have doubts about my work, uh, whatever I do, like for instance, I'm working on a show right now that I started at the beach. I just went to have a few days at the beach and I thought, you know, it's interesting. I'm watching people on the beach. I'm going to paint the people I see on the beach in little paintings, which I am terrible at. And I thought, let me think of it as a journal entry. And so I've done all these little paintings. I had to go scour some art supplies. I had to beg some brushes from a cashier at the store. She gave me your personal brushes. And things like that, where you have these obstacles. And, and then I did the art. And now I think, and I'm supposed to hang it on Sunday. I called up a place. I said, you have a free window. Can I use it? I have these little things, you know, and then um, suddenly, as soon as I, she said yes, I thought, um, oh, this isn't any good. This is terrible art. And um, I can't show this in public. But so a friend of mine sent me this um, little quote from Kiki Smith, who's an artist. 
And she says, just do the work. Do the work. Don't think of anything else. Just do your work. If somebody wants it, they'll come and get it. If they don't want it, keep doing the work anyway. Mm. Because you really have no control over the outcome. Mm-hmm. So if you even you don't have to have any money to be an artist. You don't even have to have a vision. It comes to you through working with your hands a lot of times for visual artists. And so physically just getting out the paints or or those the assemblage materials or whatever you do will begin your brain to process and give you the freedom to do the next movement. Sometimes you just have to be in the present and just put one thing after another. You just mm-hmm. go somewhere, I find. And and I never worry about the outcome. You know, you can you can self-impose deadlines, but I would say don't do that, Jennifer. Just do the thing you want to do. Don't worry about what anybody thinks of it. Yeah, that's really it's really beautiful. Uh, so I'm more of a a theater artist and also I would say a, a visual artist when it comes to my home and other little projects that I, I picked up a little bit of painting and collage during uh, the quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, the question I always ask myself is when I start something through an inspired source, um, I'm always asking that question, what's next? Hmm. What's next? What the last thing I just did, how does it inspire the next thing, the next choice? That's nice. um so I think that when you say just start, that's what I that that's where I go. And I also just want to call back how you used the beginner's mind. Yeah, I love that idea of you just creating something and ask and having that um come, you know, kind of inform the next piece you do. And the the thing I think about beginner's mind also is I try to imagine (laughs) when I'm stuck that I'm a baby and I'm a pre-verbal baby. So I have no way to categorize or judge or um, speak the thing that I see, but I am seeing. So if you imagine that you're maybe, maybe a cat or a dog or you just see the world, you don't have to assess it. You're seeing a tree, a leaf, a collage, or whatever. It allows you to go forward with an like an empty teacup. You know, it's uh, you're not filled up with preconceived ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say if an artist has trouble with this idea, you know, they have they want to finish, they need the outcome, is to breathe and meditate a little bit in front of the piece of work you're doing and ask the work kind of like decorating a house. You start with an idea, but then after a while, the house informs you what it wants. Mm-hmm. It really does. It tells you, I need a pillow here, or I need a painting there. And um, and then, but you have to be quiet and listen to it and sit with it. So I would say, if you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you don't know how to proceed, sit with the piece of paper or canvas in front of you and ask what it wants. It sounds silly. You may not come up with a clear answer, but you will have some vague whispers of possibility. We used to have a, Chris and I were lucky enough to go to um, an art school for the summer in uh, Yukon, British Columbia. And the man who was the professor of art at University of Ontario um, used to 
have a very thick accent and he but he he so he said lots of words like single necessity and single necessity means i am focused only on what i am doing mm-hmm. but the other word he always said was possibility <laughs> possibility mm. everything we do is about possibility mm. it's just everything's potential until we realize it so just think of like life is full of potentialities and it's up to us to kind of like whisper and blow the little magic dust onto the thing until it is realized. Mm, wow. So I love that, Lauren. And I want to back up just a minute for Jennifer. So something that you said was, I did these little sketches on the beach mm. and, I was, and I was terrible at it. Yeah. And I think that what happens for the Jennifers of the world, and I'm putting myself in this club, is we're terrible at something. And then we're like, fudge, I'm terrible at this. I'm just going to go get a job as a cashier or something. And what I'm getting from you is that you're giving yourself permission to do stuff that you're not necessarily an expert in. And you don't quit. So that's the difference between the Jennifers and the Lawrence of the world, right? Jennifer might quit. And I, I hope and I pray that with this podcast, we're giving some inspiration to the Jennifers of the world, that she can do something that she's not good at mm-hmm. and just show up for the joy of the creative process. Well, you know, Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours of doing something to be even good at it. So if you think about that, calculate that out, it's a lot of time. and. I would say, don't be, I always tell my friends or my students, don't judge yourself. You have no right to judge yourself. You don't even, you don't have the um, distance to judge yourself uh, about your art. And um, I would say the trick is never give up ever. You might get down, you might take some days off, you might look the other way, you might read a book. Or you might just lay on the couch and do nothing. And I mm. give you permission to do all of those. In fact, sometimes I take a month or two off and I do nothing um, until something, till I have a dream or till I something inspires me again. Uh, I don't think waiting for inspiration, though, is the answer. As my first art teacher said, this is a job. You get up if you're doing it full time. If you're doing it part time, still maybe this helps you. But if you're doing it full time, the trick is get up and get dressed and go to your job. Even if all you do is sweep the floor or rearrange your paints or look at them, that is work. Everything is about breathing in the world and then you're going to breathe out into your art. So I would say just give yourself permission to just do whatever you need to do and don't judge it. Because I'm going to tell you why I learned not judging. This summer when we were up in British Columbia, I was the only so-called non-artist. Well, Chris was the other non-artist. But, you know, I, but I acted like I was an artist. And I was, um, so I'm with 20 professional artists from all over the world, and they treated me like an artist, so that was good. But one of the things that I learned was that um, every night we would have a critique of what we had done that day. So 20 people came together, brought their art, and everybody critiqued your art every night. So like if you if you were shy about that, you got over that really quickly. 
However, what I noticed was 20 different, 20 people had 20 different ideas about your art. Some liked it, some hated it, some thought it was interesting, some, you know, thought it could be better, some thought it could be worse, some thought it shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, and you kind of, you thought, huh, everybody's got a different opinion, so who's who am I going to listen to? So mostly you, you don't have to listen to anybody, even yourself. The only reason you have, or have to critique your work is to ask yourself how to make it a little better. Could I put a little piece of collage over to the right? Or could I put a little piece of wood on that assemblage to make it perfect? But we, we each have our own sense of harmony and um, uh, what, is, what is correct. And I would just say, like, get in touch with your inner template of that thing for you. And don't try to follow other people's voices. Follow your own, which might mean you paint teeny little things on teeny little canvases and that's you you know mm. yeah or you you know you want to act in a play maybe you're not a visual artist you know you have to ask yourself this maybe i'm really an actress or maybe i'm a writer or maybe i'm all of those things mm-hmm. you know too mm-hmm. like you meredith you know mm. yeah any final questions, Meredith? That was so brilliant. Oh my God, I so want to go to the studio right now. I, well, I know. It, it's just so, I, I want to compliment you too, Lauren, because I was looking at your work on online and when what you have displayed. And there's something about your work that I'm going to compare to, to what I feel is good theater or a, piece, mm-hmm. a play that is well-directed which is that you have so beautifully left space for the viewer to feel the emotion for the work in which you've put it on display. And what I mean by that is, um, so because, and I'm, I'm bringing this back full circle to when people walk in, walked into your museum and they just said they felt so overwhelmed. It's because simple to me is hard and you've done a beautiful job of the work that I saw displayed of making, making it look simple. So there's that space for the emotion to live and in theater. And when you see a a really compelling and beautiful performance, the director or the actor have worked together to leave the space for the audience to be able to enter in their own experience into that space to feel what they need to feel in that moment based off of the direction and, and the performance does that make sense? Oh, Meredith, that's the nicest compliment anyone's ever given me, truly. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. I mean, that is what I strive to do, and I couldn't have articulated that. But that is beautiful, and I, I think that's true. I just saw Nomadland, mm-hmm. uh, Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, she does that. She does. You're right. You have to see that film. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you a little sort of an example of that, whereas I I don't know if it's on my website yet, but um, I, you know, I left my studio every day when I was working and I saw cigarette butts on the ground and I thought, you know, (laughs) who's leaving these cigarette butts on the ground? So I started picking them up and putting them in a plastic baggie and I didn't know what to do with them. And I, a year later, I had a dream and I knew what to do with them. And I, what I decided to do was make butterflies out of them. 
So I made a thousand butterflies out of cigarette butts that I collected and I hung them on the wall. I did research on butterflies and Darwin and Bates and Wallace and how butterflies fly and blah, blah, blah. I became an expert in butterflies over time, but I hung them in a huge gallery filled the gallery up with these butterflies and I put uh, specimen pins in them to the wall, but they were in an array like they'd fly. And so they looked really real. And when people came in, what you're saying, the space occurred where people actually truly believed they were real. Mm. They, They were like, Oh my God, they couldn't, they went up to them. They looked really close. They didn't see the cigarette butt. All they saw was butterflies. Now they were black and white, no less. And they saw color. I mean, they saw butterflies. And I thought, wow, the human mind is this incredibly fertile place where the imagination steps in if you give it the place for it to step in. And people even yelled at me for using butterflies on the wall. <laughs> like, hey, have you looked at these things? <laughs> and and um, so, you know, they couldn't see because their mind took over and they saw the wonder of butterflies flying. Mm. So I, I, I really think as an artist, you know, you can think about that too. But in the beginning for the Jennifers of the world, you just have to think about that piece of paper or canvas or box or whatever you use in front of you and not worry about a thing, Mm. you know, if you can, and just, and if you're not sure if you want to be an artist full time, it's, you know, it's not the easiest. I wouldn't uh, recommend it. (laughs) 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 Unless you're an idiot, like the three of us. (laughs) It makes you excited to wake up every single day of your life. Yeah. And you're because your life is full of challenges. And I'm thinking, you know, yesterday I said to my husband, this is supposed to be vacation. And I'm sweating over these stupid little drawings that I did, paintings. I'm like, they're not good enough. I can't show these. What am I thinking? I've got to find something else to show on. You know, I have to have a backup plan, always backup, three backups, you know. And, um, And then I thought, wait a minute. What the heck? I chose this life. I chose mm. crazy, stressful, sometimes, you know, exciting life because I never know what tomorrow is going to bring. It's always wonderful and challenging and hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Way easier to be a scientific researcher. Crazy. Way easier to Lauren, be a therapist. Lauren, <laughs> where can people find you? Where can they connect with your work? Uh, www.laurencarrera.com, like the car. Like the Porsche, Carrera. C A R R E R A. Yeah. LaurenCarrera.com. My website, if you like. And we'll do a one word checkout. Lauren, one word to describe your experience over the last half hour talking about your art and talking to Jennifer and giving her permission. Well, I'm very grateful to have met Meredith and to spend this time with you, Joseph. Uh, these are two wonderful people, and I'm very grateful to be here. and to offer any insight that I can into the life of an artist. Thank you, listeners. Please go ahead and download, share, connect, subscribe, whatever it is you kids are doing these days, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. 
We want to give a special shout out to Amy Shelley and Gary Grundy of High Fiction for letting us use their music in this podcast. Please stay tuned for next week when we have an interview with activist and documentary filmmaker Savannah Washington. Now remember, please like, subscribe, and pass the word on to your friends. Oh, and leave a comment if you liked this episode. Thanks so much. See you next week.